I'll just do a quick review last week. So the past couple weeks we've been going over uh, what I've just called kingdom stewardship or responsibility. So this is just basically about responsibilities that we have as believers. Practically speaking, last week we went over the use of time, planning, and calendar. And I said last week that we'd talk about money today. So that's what we're going to go over. And I just took uh, essential scriptures about what the Bible says, uh, what a person or household is to do with their money. That's what this is going to be covering. And this is something we've also been encouraging leaders in our uh, house churches to uh, discuss more with their with their their communities, their groups, because this is kind of the most recent area of progress that God has been calling us to, which is basically to do well and be diligent with how we use our time and how we use our money. So that's what we're going over. And last week, the focus when it came to time planning and calendar was recognizing, number one, that if you, as a believer, are not functioning or acting biblically or diligently with your finances and your time, that's an easy trap of the enemy because you can get so tangled up in life's cares and responsibilities that you're not able to serve God effectively because you're just so distracted and so entangled. So it's really important to get this right for that reason. And then secondly, the point that we emphasized when it came to the use of time was that you have 168 hours in a week. And we went over an example for how the average person could use all 168 of those hours in a way that's effective. And uh, that was just a way of helping you guys practically how you can arrange your schedule. So today we're going over finances, like I said. And at the end of the outline, what we'll close with, but I'll start with it as well. Uh, we're going over that good financial stewardship comes down to two things. Giving and providing. Excel in these two things. Uh, that's supposed to say and. And you will be a faithful steward that's obedient to God with finances. So giving and providing. We're going to start with providing first. Those are the two main things that scripture talks about. So let's go to the top here. Number one. And we will look at 1 Timothy 5.8 for this one. You can turn to 1 Timothy 5.8. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Verse 8, it says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I'll just read it again for emphasis. If anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an, an unbeliever. Now, I always thought it curious that God would say you're worse than an unbeliever if as a believer you don't provide for your own. I think it's a really simple answer for the reason why. That as a believer, you are held to a higher standard. And if after having come to faith, you don't provide for your household, you've become worse than an unbeliever because now you're doing what an unbeliever does, but as a believer, which makes it worse. So, very important that we get this right. The question that comes up after this is, so what does it mean to provide for one's own? And that's the first thing we're going to address, meaning yourself and your household. So what I have written here is that this means provide what's necessary for every member of the family to have a safe and healthy lifestyle or upbringing. Uh, a scripture I'd like to read for that is, 
Proverbs 31, verse 27. So let's turn there real quick. That's the first one listed there. Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 in verse 27. This is talking about a virtuous wife who, of course, represents management of a family. It says she watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. So this means, of course, we're to watch over what happens in the household. Pay close attention to it would be what that's about. And if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 5, we don't have to turn there, but I'll just quote that one to you. It basically says to manage the house well. This is a commandment given to leaders to set an example for everyone else in the church. You put those two verses together, you end up with watch over the ways of your household and manage it well. That's how we provide. So let's go to these bullet points. What does it mean to provide for one's own? It starts in the home. Practicalities for what it means to provide in the home is what's listed here. The first, these are really practical, is to provide a clean and well-kept house. Yes, there are verses that say to keep things clean, interestingly enough. Um, 1 Corinthians 14.40 says to do everything decently and in order. And then Proverbs 14.1 I would like to turn to. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14, verse 1 says, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Let's read it again. The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish pulls it down with her hands. Cleanliness is an expression of something being maintained or built up, but something being pulled down is akin to chaos and disorder. So keeping things built up or in order, as 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, is important. Next is to provide clothing suitable for any season. Uh, this brings us back to Proverbs 31. So we can look at that. Proverbs 31, verse 21. says, She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household is clothed with scarlet. So good clothing. That's what it's talking about. Suitable for any season. Not afraid of winter. Then you have provide nutritious food. So uh, if you stay in Proverbs 31, look at verses 14 and 15. It says, She is like the merchant ships and she brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. So the expression of providing food from afar basically means she wants the good stuff and so sources it from wherever she needs to. And if you look at then, um, I'll just quote it, Proverbs 25, 27, the last one that I put there, says not to eat much honey. There's a previous verse in Proverbs 25, same chapter, that says you shouldn't be filled with honey because then you'll vomit. That's basically a way of saying don't eat too much of what in, uh, don't, eat, don't eat too much of something and especially too much sugar. So that's just a couple of verses that talk about your diet, 
Um, bringing food from afar is akin to making sure that you have quality food. And then 1 Corinthians 6 says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and that you should glorify God with your body. So taking care of your body is you honoring the fact that your body is a temple for God and you should take good care of that temple. It's a house for the Holy Spirit. So make sure you bring food that's quality into your home. Make sure you're not eating too much of things that will cause harm or don't eat anything that will cause harm in your body, but especially if it's something like sugar that if you eat in, in larger quantities, it says that it will cause you to vomit, which of course we don't want to happen. <laughs> and then honor God with your body. So those are all references to having nutritious food. These are real practical. A lot of people don't think of these as essential, but provision in the home is not just providing money. It means that with that money, you keep things clean, you keep everyone clothed for any season, and you give people nutritious food. This is part of taking care of your household. Did you have something to say, Kevin? You were holding the microphone earlier. I was just going to say that if we go back to 22, which says she makes herself, because uh, talks about in 21 about the snow for her household, mm -hmm. for all her household are clothed with scarlet. I would think that that would indicate that, and then it goes on to the next verse where it says her clothing is silk and purple. It would take uh, extra effort to have the finances to have those better quality colors and and and, and materials, and so it, in general, it's just kind of a comment on how God wants us all to be at a higher level. Right. Yeah. Have a higher standard. Yep. And what you're clothed with. I mean, even if you look at Jesus, this is another really kind of cool verse about Jesus. When uh, he was crucified, and it says that the soldiers took his garment, and then it says that they, rather than dividing it or cutting the garment. They cast lots to see whose it would be because it says his garment was without seam sewn from top to bottom. And specifically clothing made that way was very expensive and it was going to ruin the value of the garment to cut it. And so the soldiers cast lots for it instead so that one person would get it. And that tells you that Jesus made sure that he was clothed with things that were quality. So Jesus didn't walk around looking poor. And that's the thing. A lot of people don't realize that about Jesus. That Jesus clothed himself well, and that's what the Bible says to do. So we should be wearing things that are quality, eating things that are quality, and being in a quality living environment in terms of cleanliness. Amen? Those are all part of provision. Okay. So then you've got in the bank. So when it comes to what you do with your finances. So if we look at the first one, provide increase. So this especially has to do with stewardship. This means to invest and multiply, or in other words, have your money make money. Uh, so investment is what this deals with, and there's plenty of verses that talk about it. One that I'd like to look at first is actually going to be that one in Ecclesiastes 11. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, and I have this in New Living Translation because it's a little bit more straightforward in this particular translation, a little bit easier to understand, so I want to look at it that way. Ecclesiastes 11. Okay, starting verse 1. It says, Send your grain across the seas, and in time profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you do not know what risks might lie ahead. This is very practical. Don't put your, all, your, all your eggs in one basket. 
in other words. Many of you have heard that before. So send your grain across the seas, meaning spread your finances far and wide. You can make money in a lot of different ways. Then it adds to that in verse 2, divide your investments among many places because you don't know what risks might lie ahead. So very important. Keep that in mind. Uh, then go back to Proverbs 31. If you look at verse 16, it says, She considers a field and buys it, and from her profits she plants a vineyard. So this is talking about she bought a field, then she made money from that field, and then used that money to plant a vineyard. So she's using money she made to plant something that will make her more money, basically. That's an example. And then last one, this one, um, I would at least like to reference and explain, but it's in Matthew 25. We won't read through the whole passage. But this is something we went over a little bit last week as well. And this is where Jesus gives a parable about what he expects from us as his servants and with what he gives us. So if you start in verse 19, it starts by saying, After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. I'll just read the first example. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, or in addition, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. So the point there is that what pleased God and what made this servant a faithful steward was that he took what God had given him and doubled it, or he multiplied with what he had. So stewardship means providing an increase for your money with what you have. And he uses the example of the field with the virtuous wife in Proverbs 31, Use the example of Ecclesiastes to divide your investments many ways. And then Matthew 25 says to make money with your money. So that's what increases. Then you have savings. Store up for future needs, foreseen and unforeseen, and spend less than you make. There's a lot of examples of this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, this one... I just think this is a really great example in Genesis. So we go to Genesis 41. Yeah, a lot of people forget that the Bible talks about a lot of practical things. It's all very helpful. These are good things, too, if you're, you know, discipling somebody who just needs help with their finances. These are just really good principles to communicate right out of Scripture. So Genesis 41, this is about Joseph. Pharaoh has a dream. God shows him there's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine after that. And if you start reading in verse 34, this is Joseph giving advice to Pharaoh after he hears his dream. He tells Pharaoh what to do. He says, let Pharaoh do this. and Let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt. 
that the land may not perish during the famine. You've got two things happening here. Number one, anticipating something hard that will happen in the future. Number two, storing up for it. That's what savings is. So that you can provide for your family when that hardship happens. That's Joseph is giving advice. He says, do one-fifth. Not that that's the exact percentage that you have to do. That just happens to be what Joseph did in this situation. So now let's look at a couple Proverbs. Let's look at Proverbs 27, 12. Proverbs 27, 12. This is a scripture that says it's important to use wisdom and that faith does not mean ignorance. Verse 12, Proverbs 27 says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. The simple pass on and are punished. So sometimes what people call faith is just having a simple, being simple-minded simple or ignorant. In other words, you're not considering what's happening in the world or what will happen in the future and you don't prepare yourself for it. You pass on like, like nothing's wrong and then you suffer the consequences. He's saying if you're prudent, you will foresee evil. Foresee evil means you're foreseeing calamity that will happen in the future. Prudence itself means wisdom with regard to the future. That's what prudence is. You're using wisdom based on what you see happening down the line. So that's part of the importance of savings. And go a little earlier in Proverbs, chapter 13. Verse 11. This is a real simple one. Wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished, but he who gathers by labor will increase. So work. Work hard, increase your money. Then just quickly we'll look at uh, 2120. A Proverbs, lots of Proverbs about this. It says, there is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. Read again. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. In other words, you should have value stored in your dwelling is a reference to basically your household, your provisions. That You could call that your bank account. Your bank account is part of your, part of your dwelling um, in this Old Testament language. You should have treasure. There should be a, a storage, if you will, of that. Now, we won't look at 1 Corinthians 16.2 or 1 Timothy 6.17 and 19. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16.2 is going to come up later, so we'll look at that in time. Otherwise, you guys can look at those in your own time later if you'd like. But those are a few scriptures about savings. Scripture says to store up and to be prepared for the future. Next, you have pay your taxes and bills. So one of them, Romans 13, verses 5 through 7, I would like to read. Romans 13, verses 5 through 7. This is talking about submission to government. 13.5, starting there, says, Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. He's talking about workers in, in the government that, are in charge of 
the judicial system, especially if you read in the context. Verse 7, he says, Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Very simply, just saying, pay your taxes, guys. That's his point. Uh, then Deuteronomy 24.15, I would like to look at that as well. Deuteronomy 24, verse 15. This is talking about a, a servant, a hired servant, in other words, an employee. Each day you shall give him his wages and not let the sun go down on it. For he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. When you have a responsibility to pay somebody, pay them. That's the point. That's what that means. So pay your bills, pay your taxes, pay what you owe. This gets into the last one. Provide financial freedom. So this means avoid debt whenever possible and pay off present debt. Proverbs 22 verse 7 says the borrower is slave to the lender. And in Romans 13 8 and 1 Corinthians 6 12, both of those scriptures are examples that say that we shouldn't be enslaved or under the power of anything. And debt can become something that overpowers you and can, in a lot of ways, consume uh, your life in regards to your finances. So being free, as Paul says to do financially, means to avoid debt when you can and pay what you owe now. There's plenty of verses that talk about paying your debts. It really just comes down to, Paul says, don't be a slave to anything. And Proverbs 22.7 says that the borrower is slave to the lender. So if you don't want to be a slave, then that means not being a slave in regards to your money either, which means we should avoid debt. Okay. Those are basics about provision when it comes to your money in the bank. Now, next bullet point. If you sum this all up, this is about carefully attend to the state of your resources and relationships. This proverb I'd like to read. So Proverbs 27, 23 through 27. Proverbs 27, verses 23 through 27. I love this passage. It says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. When the hay is removed and the tender grass shows itself and the herbs of the mountains are gathered in, the lambs will provide your clothing and the goats the price of a field. You shall have enough goat's milk for your food, for the food of your household and the nourishment of your maidservants. So, just to give you kind of an Old Testament, you know, explanation of what this is talking about, he's saying, if we put it in like modern words, dollars will run out, is what he's saying to the people that he's writing to. He says, but if you make sure you take good care of your animals, then when you run out of dollars, those animals will feed you. 
So they'll eat, they'll eat the grass, they'll give you milk, so on and so forth. So keep what you have in good condition, and it will help take care of you when you're lacking in other areas. That's his point. Self-sufficiency, right. So if you take good care of what you have, it will provide for you later. Examples would be the next uh, sub-bullet point here. Keep your assets in good condition. An asset in good condition will be worth more and serve you more effectively. Example, like maintaining your car or house. You keep your car in good condition, it will last longer, serve you better. And ultimately, if you sell it, you can sell and make more from selling it. Whereas if you don't maintain your car and it breaks down really quickly, it leads to waste and you're not effectively providing for yourself. So that's what this proverb is saying. Hey, take good care of your flocks. Take good care of what you have. Because if you make sure they're in good condition, they'll help you later. That's the point. Then when it comes to people, keep your people in good condition. This could be the actual members of your family. So if we're talking about having a clean house, good clothing, good food, that helps people stay healthier. And a person in good condition or a healthy person can do more and do it better. Healthy minds and healthy bodies can work and serve well. This is applying, of course, to commodities, material possessions, but then also people themselves. Your, your mind and your body in a healthy, healthy condition will do more for you and do it better. I do want to look at Ecclesiastes 10, verse 18, which I have written underneath, uh, keeping your assets in good condition. So Ecclesiastes 10, verse 18, says, Because of laziness... The building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. Keep reading. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. This is a verse that actually speaks pretty highly of money. <laughs> Interestingly enough, money you earned, right? But it starts by saying, hey, if you're lazy, your building and your house will decay and leak. You're not providing for your family well if you're lazy. That's the first point. Second point, he says, hey, when you eat and drink, it helps with laughter and merriment or joy. But if you have money that you earned and can provide, that, it says, is an answer to everything. This doesn't mean it is the solution for every problem. That's not the point. The point is that there is no situation you can encounter in life where having money is unhelpful entirely. Having money across the board helps you accomplish more. It gives you greater opportunity. It's a tool that you can use for pretty much any situation. That's why we say things like cash is king. You're going to give a person a present. Everybody likes to get money. It answers everything. That's the point. That's what I was trying to say. So don't be lazy. Make sure you have money. That's the point. Um, so let's read that last bullet point there. These are also important because of the enemy. This is a reference to what I started with in the review here. Don't let anyone have anything negative to say about the condition of your household or how you manage your family. This is a tool of the enemy. Look at 1 Timothy 5, verse 14. 1 Timothy 5, verse 14. It says, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, manage the house, why manage the house well? He says, to give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. 
for some have already turned aside after Satan. It's interesting that he says that some have turned aside after Satan or following the devil. And in context, he's talking about uh, women that have abandoned the task of managing their home well. And he says that's them following the devil, basically. So it's important to manage the house well, because if you don't, it gives opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Practically speaking, that means somebody has something bad to say about you as a believer and about the gospel itself when you're a bad example with your money, your home, your finances, so on and so forth. Excuse me. All of this centers around the fact that God has given us everything we need to survive. You know, he's given us the ability to grow our own food and, you know, take care of our own homes and not be lazy and make sure the roof doesn't leak. And when we don't live up to his expectations, then we are the ones that really lose. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. the, 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 uh, the young widows, you know, if they didn't make themselves uh, desirable from a standpoint of making sure they kept their kit together and everything, they wouldn't be desirable to remarry and have more children. And they need to be productive. We need to be productive. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There's, um, there's a very popular scripture in Deuteronomy 28 that says that God has given us the power to get wealth. And that basically means that God doesn't just give a person money. He gives you the opportunities and the ability to make the money that you need to be able to provide for yourself. And it's up to us to do that. When we do our part, that's how we're allowing God to provide for us. And that, that would actually be an exercise of faith in that case, because you're, you're putting action to the word, which of course keeps your faith alive. Faith without works is dead. So we need to take action on it. So, all right. Now, if you turn the page, other side, now we're talking about giving. So we just went over provision. Once you've provided for your household, what is the leftover for? That's what this is about. So, Scripture commands us, give to others for the sake of the kingdom of God. I list a bunch of scriptures. We'll look at a couple of them. And give generously. The one that I, would, I think we should look at first would be Luke 16, 9 through 12. So, let's turn there. Luke chapter 16 is a great teaching of Jesus about finances. If you guys are ever interested in reading that whole passage there. But Luke 16, we start in verse 9. Actually, uh, let's start in verse 8. 8, I think, is, makes it a little more of a heavy hitter. Verse 8. So the master commended the unjust steward because he had dealt shrewdly. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in their generation than the sons of light. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, or money, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, or if you have not been faithful with your money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, 
or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, or and money, you could say. All right, I'll just summarize this. He starts by talking about the unjust steward. Without getting into too much detail, he tells a parable about a servant who is going to be kicked out of the stewardship. In other words, he was going to be fired from his job, basically. And he lived in a home provided for him by this job. But he's going to get fired. So he says, here's what I'll do. I'm going to use my smarts to win, to help my other, the other employees, my coworkers, win favor with my boss so that when he fires me, these other workers will let me live with them because I won't have a home if I don't have any friends, right? And he did something unjust. So in other words, he got his coworkers to lie to their boss, but then he won their favor so that when he got fired, he could live with them. So what Jesus says with that example is that what that tells you is that people in the world, a lot of times, are smarter than believers when it comes to how they use their money. Even if they use it wrongly, it's showing that they can be smarter with it. So he's saying, as sons of light, shouldn't you be way, way, way better with money as a believer than those who are unbelievers? Then he says, as a result, so you should do the same thing, but of course, justly, Make friends for yourselves with your money so that when you fail, he's talking about when you die, the friends that you won ultimately to the kingdom of God will receive you into heaven. His point is, use your money to attract people to the gospel because they'll look at your life as a believer and go, wow, that person follows Jesus and they're really good with money. That makes me want to know more about Jesus, right? That leads them to get saved. They go to heaven and then you, when you die, You'll go to heaven. You'll see him there because of what you did with your money. That tells you your money can be a very effective tool for helping spread the gospel. And Jesus says you have to be smart with your money to do that. And that is including with your giving. You can give to show your skill um, and your abundance with finances to help attract people to the gospel. Yeah. Uh, I, I just want to point out the part where it said, um, one second, whoever is faithful with very little is also faithful with much. And I think it's just important to touch on because a lot of people have a problem. And you kind of addressed it earlier by saying you shouldn't spend more than you make. But you'll see, like, people will have little money, right? And for, say, that's just, like, average, like, 40000 And they'll be using all of that, not trying to save any. So what I call it is called life inflation. When they make more and they get a raise to, say, $60,000, they are now still trying to spend all that money. So because they weren't faithful with the forty. They're now not going to be faithful with the 60 and they're going to, anytime they make more money, they're going to constantly just spend it all up because they don't know how to handle it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You have to be faithful as least first before you're going to be trusted with more. Yep. Okay. So we'll, we'll stick with that scripture for now. Giving is what we're talking about. So let's go to this next bullet point. Once your personal household needs as seen above, meaning on the previous page we went through, are met, you should expect to devote the rest to giving. So I'll explain what this means. This is also the example set in Acts. Any unnecessary possessions were sold and the proceeds used for giving. Even Jesus commanded this. So Acts 2, 44 uh, through 45, and then Acts 4, 34 through 35 are both two examples in Acts. 
about the church, which says people who had lands or houses. So people who had things that they owned and they didn't really need them. He says they just sold it and then they gave the proceeds to the church and it's how they helped provide for the needs of the community and provide for the, for the poor and widows and so on and so forth. And then in Luke 12, 33, Jesus says there, sell your possessions and give to the poor or give alms. So Jesus commanded us to sell possessions and acts, the example set by the church and their obedience was that they sold their possessions and then gave. So the question that comes up is, well, how do you know how much is what your household needs and then therefore how much you'd have left over to give? Because you could take this to an extreme and just say, oh, I just want to have enough to put food on my table, but then have no savings you know, no investments, no way for your money to make money, whatever, and you just give the rest away. Well, if anything happens to you, you're no longer providing for a household if, you, if some calamity befalls you, right? Because you're giving beyond what Scripture actually states is what's ideal or what's acceptable. So you have to understand what is what your household needs, provide that first, and the leftover, we'll look at some Scriptures about this later, is what's used for giving. So the question of what you need is what is answered in these bullet points below. So the first sub point there, we are told to abound and excel in our finances and our giving as much as we want to excel in knowledge, faith, or love. That's 2 Corinthians 8, 7. It says to abound in the grace of giving with your finances as much as you want to abound in knowledge, faith, and love. So in other words, if you want to grow spiritually, you want to grow in your faith, you want to grow in your love, you want to grow in your knowledge, you should want to grow in your skill with money as much as you want to grow in those other things. That's what scripture says. So God does not take what you do with your money and make it less important than knowledge, faith, and love. Because being good with your money is part of your obedience to the word of faith, which would be scripture itself, right? So that's the first thing. Then, next point here, those who have abundance are responsible to give where there is lack. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15 says this. We will read that. So let's go there. 2 Corinthians 8, 13 through 15. Then I'll define abundance for you after that. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 13 through 15 says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may supply their lack, that their abundance also may supply your lack, that there may be an equality. As it is written, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. So when he starts by saying, I'm not saying this so that others should be eased and you burdened, he's talking about a complaint where people would say, hey, I have more money, or this community has more money than this community. So does that mean we have to be burdened to give to them so that they'll have an easier time? And that doesn't seem right in their minds. So Paul is saying, no, the point is not to burden you. He's saying, if you have an abundance, you give where there's lack, and where they have an abundance, they give to where you lack so that it balances out. So you have people that are all responsible for each other rather than one group being responsible for an, another group entirely. So this is why things like you 
uh, not to get into this in extreme detail, but the idea of heavily taxing the rich to provide for the poor who don't have to work is not biblical because he's saying equality means giving everyone a responsibility to use their abundance to give to where there's lack. So everybody has a responsibility to give out of what their abundance is. So then the question becomes, how do you know what your abundance is? Just because you have a lot of money, that doesn't mean it's an abundance. Abundance is anything that exceeds what you need. Once your needs are met, whatever the leftover is. So if you look at what I have written next here, so the application of this, abundance means anything that's left over after you've provided for your household what's necessary. After you have provided what's necessary, use the rest to give what, uh, to others. What's necessary are the things listed under point number one, which would be the, the previous page. This comes from verse 15 in 2 Corinthians 8. This is quoted from Exodus about the distribution of manna in the wilderness. He who gathered much. You had a big family. This is where this comes from. You had a big family. You had a lot of kids to feed. So you had to gather a lot more. So you had more coming in, right? More money coming in. But once everyone was provided for, you had nothing left over. Then he says, he who gathered little, so you, don't, you have a smaller family, less mouths to feed, but you had no lack. So there was no leftover for anybody because after their needs were met, then other people's needs were met. So your needs, as mentioned earlier, are the things that you provide for your household. So you line that up. Once you've provided clean, well-kept house, good clothing, nutritious food for your family, once you've provided or are providing increase, stable savings, paying your taxes and bills, and working to get out of debt or stay out of debt. If you provide those things, what you have left over would be your abundance. That abundance is what is meant to be used entirely for giving to other people. And that's what 2 Corinthians 8 is talking about. Now, when it comes to the specifics of like, well, how much do I need to have in savings? And the details of like, how much should I be putting into savings every month? And how much should I be putting into this or to that? That's kind of up to the individual household. You'd have to know your own standings and have a discussion to work that out. But generally speaking, the abundance is what's left over after you've provided the necessary things for your household that the Bible says are necessary. Did you have a question or comment back here? What I see, oops, what I see a lot um, is uh, one member of the household spends mm -hmm. and the other one's just kind of trying to keep things under control. And so um, how do you get both members of a family on board, I guess? How do you... What's the best way to have unity in that area? Um, the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you could specify more, like. Yeah, I mean, well, because you can have people, they're both Christians, but they have totally different views of money, and they're trying to manage this thing. Assuming that one would be very smart financially and the other was not as smart, I think the best thing to do would be to first educate them and then create a plan. Because if you create a plan saying this is what we spend versus this is what we make, this is how much you get to spend per week, per se, so that 
it's going to be easier for them to understand why they can't spend like for say like you know half of a check a week because obviously they're going to be hurting the family so once they can understand that it's going to be yeah. easier for them to actually follow the financial plan yeah yeah make a plan uh formulate it out of scripture Another thing that this is an important consideration is that part of the needs of a household, even though I didn't list it on here, part of the like stewarding children, raising up kids that have a healthy upbringing is having an allowance for fun. So spending on things that are just for your family's enjoyment is part of providing for your family. Because scripture commands us, like especially in Ecclesiastes, we're commanded to use the fruits of our labor to have joy. So that would be things that you do for fun. So it would just simply be up to the family, like Carlos is saying, to plan, decide how much is appropriate, reasonable to spend for your family that you wouldn't necessarily consider like, you know, bills, savings, taxes, so on and so forth, um, so that people have a reasonable limit. Uh, a household has a reasonable limit to what they can spend and what they shouldn't. Um, but there has to be an education on what Scripture says is acceptable and what's reasonable. And then you can make a plan. Does that answer the question? Did you have more to add? Um, one other thing I w wondered about was, <clears throat> I mean, we were just at a gathering last night, and there was uh, talk of, you know, prepping. And really, I think what might be fear-based, um, you know, the financial markets are going to crash, blah, blah, blah. And so how do you <clears throat> balance um, doing things? Well, I mean, I know that you shouldn't do anything out of fear, but there is a lot of uh, talk, even, you know, even taught in all kinds of Christian circles about how you should have, you know, a year's worth of food supplied and you should buy a generator and you know all that stuff. And... Um, I guess there seems to be fear involved. Yeah, you don't want to operate out of fear because, of course, then you're not in faith. Um, if you look at how, well, let's let's look at um, a verse in First Timothy. I think this will address this. So go to First Timothy chapter six. First Timothy chapter six. Verse 17. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. We're going to look at two considerations here. This is the first one. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty or prideful, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So first consideration, he says, if you have money or you have a lot of stuff, make sure you're not trusting in it. I think one of the first ways you can know that you're trusting in riches is really that you stop praying. So what this means is when you have a lot of money, you have all you need, you don't really think it necessary to pray, you know, Lord, give us our daily bread. You don't consider God as your provider because you think you're your provider, right? You have everything you need. You have no lack. You have 
an abundance way beyond what your household needs. So then you just think, okay, well, what do I need God for? And you stop praying. You, you stop expressing a trust in God. And if you look at Jesus, he was very diligent with his finances, always had what he needed, was always provided for. Um, he wore nice clothing. He had a, a money box, a treasury that he carried around with his disciples. And yet you always see him praying. Always. And even just to show how much he trusted in God, when he multiplied the loaves and fishes, he, the disciples came to him and said, you know, Lord, shall we go and take 200 denarii and buy food for all these people? And Jesus said, no, we don't need to do that. I'll just snap my fingers and work a miracle. The point was, if Jesus didn't do that miracle, he could have bought food for all these people. But he trusted in God not in his money, so he just worked a miracle instead. So you have to have a balance of both faith and financial stability to honor God the right way and be obedient to scripture the right way. And I think when it comes to specifically like, you know, people are predicting certain financial crashes and they think they have to have a certain amount of food stored up, so on and so forth. If that's coming from fear, they're not trusting in God, which means they're not believing that God can do miracles in times like that. And that would be a problem because Jesus trusted that God can do a miracle no matter the situation. But he also was financially stable and could provide for himself if he needed to. So I think a good balance for this would simply be, Proverbs says, to foresee evil and hide yourself or pre prepare yourself. So if you can reasonably foresee something happening in the future, and you're not just making it up, you're not you know, maximizing it because of fear, you're not getting your emotions involved, it's, it's logical, it's reasonable, you see this happening in the future. We're commanded to be prepared for it. However, you also have to know that faith can provide for what your skills cannot. Now, when it comes to faith, the additional consideration that you see in 1 Timothy 6 is it says, verse 18, let them do good that they may be rich in good works, ready to give and willing to share. This is talking about community support. So he's saying people who have more should support those who have less. If you try to go at it alone and try to have everything you need all by yourself and don't have a community to lean on, you're also not being consistent with what scripture says. So be prepared to a level that you can, but you should also have community around you that can help support you and you them in a time of calamity. All over scripture, you have two principles, well, actually three principles taught. One, be financially stable and skilled yourself. Two, make sure you have faith that God can do miracles if there's no other option. And three, make sure you have community around you so that they can help provide for you and you for them in times where you can't do it by yourself. And if you uh, check all three of those boxes, you're going to be in a really good spot. Where it gets wrong, like Laura's mentioning, is where you have somebody like they think they have to have, do everything by themselves. It's, it's based out of fear, emotion, it's unreasonable, it's unlogical, it's not based on scripture, nor on real hard facts, and it's just fear. That would be not a biblical way of approaching it. Um, that would be what I would say to that. Does that answer the question? Okay. All right. So now 
We've defined abundance. So after you've provided for your family what you need, you use the rest to give. Now we talk about where to give. So there's three categories. There's individuals, the church, and then the church's leadership. So individuals, next bullet point means any individual as the spirit and common sense lead. Psalms 37, 21 says the righteous is generous and gives. If you look at, uh, back to Proverbs here, 21, 26. Twenty-one twenty-six says, talking about a lazy man, says he covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. The righteous gives and does not spare. So you don't hesitate to give and you don't hold anything back out of fear or covetousness, greediness, whatever it may be. I also have written here that giving money is a gesture of love that can soften people to hearing the gospel. This is one of the ways that you can use your money to expand the kingdom. It does lifting for you because people experience love through money. Although we wouldn't prefer it to be that way, people like money. And when you're really generous, it makes them want to like you too. It's just kind of how, the, it's kind of how it is. And especially if you do it as a representative of Jesus, you're going to attract people to the gospel because of your generosity. And I can't tell you how many times where I've just decided to give a certain amount of money to a person, whether it was I paid for somebody's groceries or I met somebody on the street or whatever. There's been times where I literally was just passing by people and glanced at somebody out of the corner of my eye and just knew I was supposed to give them money. And I would you know, make that connection and you know, talk to them, ask questions about their life. And there's been just so many times where people have opened to hearing the gospel and will listen intently and want to hear it because of the room that money made for me. And so that's one of the reasons why you have to just be led, of course, by common sense, but also by the spirit to be generous and give, give to individuals because of how it can soften them. It's a very effective tool. Now, underneath here is another practical consideration. Don't give money to a fool. If you feel moved to give money to a person, you should do so if you can know that it will be used well and not wasted. Spending money on a fool is waste. So if you look at uh, Proverbs 17, 16, this one we're going to look in a different translation. So uh, Proverbs 17, 16, and CSB says, Why does a fool have money in his hand with no intention of buying wisdom? In other words, if he's not going to be wise... With what he has, why does he have money? That's the point. Why are you giving him stuff if he's not going to do anything with it? That's the point. Not going to do anything good with it. Uh, then you've got Proverbs 19.10. Well, actually, the Amplified of that verse is really good, too. The Amplified of Proverbs 17.16 says, Why is there money in the hand of a fool to buy wisdom when he has no common sense or even a heart for it? Amen. <laughs> Proverbs 19.10 19.10 of Proverbs. His luxury is not fitting for a fool, much less for a servant to rule over princes. Luxury, so wealth, not fitting for a fool. So be careful. You want to make sure you don't give money to just anyone. There needs to be a reason for it. Yeah. 
Making room is in uh, Proverbs eighteen sixteen. That's that's a good verse. A man's Did you read it? a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. What you have that's of value makes room for you. What was the reference to that again? 18.16 of Proverbs? Yeah, Proverbs 18.16. Yes. So I shop for a family once a week, and I was it was about two weeks ago, and I just got to get your take on this, but I was at Whole Foods because they buy organic food because of the f nutritional condition of this person that's not well. Okay. So I'm, and it was right before Easter, and there was a woman that was, you know, running her cart around, and she, you know, she had like Easter stuff, like ham and, you know, just stuff in her basket. And she stopped me and she asked me if I could help her buy her groceries. And I thought I had a $10 bill in my purse. And I said, well, of course, yeah, of course I'll, you know, and I, I was going to pull it out. I didn't have it, and I felt so bad. But, but then she asked me if I could just, pay for her her basket and I said well I'm here shopping for I'm actually working I I was at that point my 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 brain was saying first of all like I was getting all these negative feelings thinking if you have kids like five kids why are you shopping at Whole Foods? I feel like I was a bad person, but there is much better value and and quality. I just think it'd be like going to um, Bloomingdale's and saying, you know, I need to buy Christmas presents for my kids. Can you help me? I just felt like it was not right. But then I saw her pull a, um, pull aside a couple other people, and a gentleman actually mentioned to me just his viewpoint and I don't know if he was wrong or not but he just thought it was really rude that she was pulling all these people aside asking to pay for her groceries I felt kind of bad but I didn't I didn't help her yeah I don't know what anybody else would have done but I just looked at the the logicalness of where she was buying organic ham you know this is a lot so based on how you describe the situation, I probably would have said no too because of what it's, it seems like she probably does this on a regular basis. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it sounds like somebody that probably, you know, tries to take advantage of people, you know? So, but what I would have done is assuming I had, assuming that I had discernment that I shouldn't pay for her groceries, I would have at least tried to number one, pray for her. Number two, see if I could start some kind of relationship with her to try to help her long term, like help her learn how to conduct her life better. You know what I mean? Like I, I would want to be able to help her in a real life way rather than just giving her a handout with her specifically. Yeah. So that's I, why you got to use good judgment. Just... I know I, I told her, God bless you, and she walked away. But yeah, I certainly could have expanded on that but i yeah. think i got just i think i felt like i just wanted to back away but yeah i understand yep yep use discernment use good judgment Make so that i kind of run into that issue a lot too and especially on the street where it looks like you have professional panhandlers it's the same people on the same corner every day 
And it's kind of like, do you give? Do you don't give? Do you... And then some people you see are hanging out at the liquor store. And, you know, and I struggle with that. And I think, first of all, we have to have a heart that wants to give. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing. Yep. And then also we're su- supposed to suspend judgment because everybody's got a backstory. And we don't know what that story is. So it, it just gets real hard to know, you know, unless, you know, God <laughs> push. Well, I don't want to say push, unless you just know yeah. I need to give to this person. Yeah. It's hard to know. Yeah. Yeah. If you don't know by the spirit and that's not obvious to you, then you have to just go with your discernment and your judgment. And sometimes that'll lead you right. Sometimes it'll lead you wrong. Sometimes you'll make a mistake. That's okay. It's how you learn from it. But I would trust primarily that over time you'll learn to hear from the Holy Spirit better so that you're making decisions based off of his judgment and not always yours because he knows everything. <laughs> we don't, right? Okay, so we'll move on from that. That's just basic stuff. Hmm? Oh, yes, go for it. Could you touch on, I think it's in Second Thessalonians where it talks about um, the one who doesn't work should not eat and that principle in regards to either someone who has an abundance and has a responsibility to give or like someone just brought up about people on the street or just in general, um, that principle. Yeah, yeah. It, it, Paul's very frank about it and says, if somebody's not working, then you're not supposed to give them any food. <laughs> and so, like, they won't eat, meaning you, sh- you shouldn't let them mooch off of you, basically. So when you're talking about giving, having a responsibility to give, you have an abundance, you want to give it to somebody, make sure you're not giving to people who are not being responsible to work. So a fool, or the category of a fool that Proverbs is talking about, would not just be somebody who doesn't know how to use money, but also somebody who just simply doesn't work. If they're not responsible in that regard, then you don't have a responsibility to give to them. Because if you did, you're actually doing more harm than good. Because you're enabling them to continue in that foolishness and your responsibility. You just want to make sure you're, you're knowing a person well enough that you're aware of whether they're working or not. And providing for, for their own, to the best that they can. You have a comment, Dolores? I'm looking at uh, Isaiah 58, and we all know that's the chapter on fasting. Yeah. And he says at the bottom of verse 5, Will you not call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Rather, is it not that the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the bands of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every enslaving yoke? Is it not to divide your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked, that you cover him and that you hide not yourself from the needs of your own flesh and blood? So, you know, and at one point I was just like really studying this chapter. And we have the hungry out there. We have the poor out there. We have the naked out there. And so are we, is it wrong? To, obviously it's not wrong to help them. 
but again, is that that part of the reason why why Israel was dispossessed from their land is because they weren't doing these things. So I I don't know I don't. <laughs> yep, yep. Helping people out that are in need isn't always accomplished with a handout. I I meet with a a, a man who's actually homeless once a week right now. Thank you, and. I'm helping him get a job right now. That's what I know is my chiefest responsibility. I had lunch with him one time, paid for his food. Um, there's two instances where I gave him a Cub Foods gift card so he could have just a few groceries. And beyond that, I told him, I want to help you get a job. And that's how we're going to move forward. And to me, that's how I am you know, exercising action and my responsibility to help provide for his needs because ultimately it's going to be through him working first and foremost. Yeah. Hello. Okay. Um, I just wanted to say um, about the helping, like we are supposed to help people, but you also, when you're helping, you have to know what part of help you're supposed to be. I mean, what part of helping you need to be touching with them. Um, helping someone is not always financially. Right. Helping someone um, also consists of maybe they, like you said, you're doing giving, helping him find a job. Sometimes it's helping them find the job. Sometimes it's just having that conversation and giving them the, the, the mental support or the the mental knowledge yeah, that they need. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yep. it's help is help is. Um, there's more than one category for help. Exactly. You just have to. I kind of say I'll just use it. Like you kind of have to use your discernment and get to know them to figure out where what area they need your help in. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Yep. It's not always financial. Yeah. Okay. We got to move on from that point, but great comments there. Um, all right. So next you have, after giving to individuals, you have give to the church, the needs of the body. So scripture defines this as the poor and needy, like widows is one category that it speaks to. And then community tasks requiring provision. So Acts 6, 1 through 7 talks about providing for widows. These were people that could not provide for themselves. Back then, widows, if you were an older widow especially and you couldn't remarry, you could not have a job. It was a very male-dominated culture. Men worked the trades. Women got married and had children. If you were an older woman, your husband, older woman, your husband died, now you're a widow. You could not provide for yourself. So you were told to be faithful in serving the church just volunteering your activity, and then the church would provide for you because you couldn't provide for yourself. So that was one of the needs in the church back then. Uh, and that was what uh, money given to the church was used for partly. Then Acts eleven twenty nine through 30, there was a prophecy of a coming famine, and the church collected a bunch of money to send provisions to this church so that when the famine came, they would all be able to be fed. So... That would be community tasks. It's like there's a, a project, a group of people that has need to accomplish something or to have certain needs met, and we know they're not go going to be able to provide it for themselves, so we will send it to them. That was what money was used for in the church. Largely, 1 Timothy uh, 5, 3, 3 through 16 talks more about widows, people who can't provide for themselves. And then 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says that if... Uh, by this we know love that Christ laid down his life for us. And then it says if we see a brother 
if we have this world's goods and we see a brother in need and do not give to him the things needed for the body, then how does the love of God abide in us? The point is, your brother means members of the body, believers. If they have need and you deny them a provision for that need, then you don't have the love of God active in you is what it says. So you show love by giving to where there's need. Then a, another sub point there is that churches are also commanded to give weekly to a collection that will be used when needs arise in the future. So this one I do I would like to read. This is 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, I mentioned we'd read it earlier. So go to 1 Corinthians 16, start in verse 1. 1 Corinthians 16, starting in verse 1, says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, this is talking about collecting money, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. This is a commandment. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. If it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So here's what he's talking about. The first, the first day of the week, Acts chapter 20, says was a common day that believers would get together. And typically, because Sunday was the day Jesus rose again, so all the way back in the book of Acts, people liked meeting on Sunday because that's when Jesus rose. So that's kind of always been a habit um, of the church. So when he says on the first day of the week, he's basically saying when you guys get together, or at least on one day a week, people in the church should be giving to this collection. He says, storing up, basically, so that they can prosper, so that the church can prosper. So that there doesn't have to be a collection when Paul shows up saying that there is a need. So he's saying, I don't want to have to waste time and energy when I show up to have to scramble to get all you guys together and give some money so that we can provide for this need. You should always be giving to this collection so that it's always being built up. So that when the need arises, it's ready to go and you can just hand it off and we can do things swiftly. That's, that's the, the commandment that Paul gives. So the idea of giving weekly to a collection that the church uses is biblical. It's not supposed to be a tithe where you put a specific number on it. Scripture simply says it's not even about 10% anymore in the New Testament. What it says it's about is that it's about giving out of your abundance. So your leftover, after you've provided for your household, you should dedicate to giving in some way, shape, or form. Whether you're storing it up to then be used for later or you're giving it immediately to an immediate need, that's up to you. But he's saying it's no longer about 10%. It's about your abundance, and part of that abundance should be used for a collection that the church has. And uh, he calls it a collection in 1 Corinthians 16 there. Um, so then you have this last bullet point here. Give to the church's leaders. So leadership of the church working for the gospel. There's a few different examples of this. Uh, one of my favorites, Romans 15, 27. You don't have to turn there. But Romans 15, 27 teaches that the people who have ministered to you spiritually, it says it is a duty to minister to them in material things. So it's considered a responsibility, not just a suggestion. 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 18 says that the elders who labor in the word, it says, count them worthy of double honor. Uh, 
Honor in 1 Timothy 5 is a term that's used to refer to any kind of respect or, sh- or support you show for a person, including finances. And then 1 Corinthians 9, 3 through 15, you don't have, we won't read that whole passage, but one key verse in there, Paul says that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel, which means that if you have people who are working like Paul did, this back then this was the apostles, they're working, giving most of their time to preaching the gospel, expanding, uh, you know, planting, growing churches, uh, bringing disciples in, that kind of work. Uh, they're ministering spiritually. He says it's part of the responsibility of the church to help support them financially. And so those are three passages that you can look at to uh, be encouraged in that area. To sum it up, you have individuals you're led to give to. Then you have the needs of the body that you're led to give to, or that, excuse me, that you're responsible to give to. And then you have the preachers of the gospel in the church, or its leadership that we're responsible to give to. The church, including its leaders, according to Galatians, comes before people who are outside your community. Galatians 6 says to give or to do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Especially means focus on them. So the people that are part of your community, the people that are part of the church, that's our first responsibility. Second to that would be everyone else, essentially. So it's up to the individual to determine out of their abundance how much they want to give. The Bible says you should just give whatever you can with a cheerful heart and bountifully rather than sparingly. Remember, Proverbs says uh, that the righteous gives and does not spare. So you got to decide what that number is going to be and how much you want to give, but it says give it out of your abundance and put the needs of the body first when it comes to your generosity. Now, just as a quick announcement for, um, I'll just share it now since it has to do with the transition of moving out of meeting on Sundays weekly to moving exclusively into house churches. That's something that uh, we're doing. We don't know exactly when that's going to be. It just depends on how things pan out in the next couple of months or so. But one thing that we wanted to make sure we communicate to you guys is that the the Valiant Ministries, the, the 501c3 organization that we started as part of this community, once we're no longer paying rent for this space, all the money that goes into that Valiant Ministries account is only going to be used for my and Allie's household and then our work. So any work that we do to spread the gospel, any work that we do to provide for the needs that come up as we're spreading the gospel, making disciples, all that is what that money is used for because we don't have the rent anymore and that's the only other big expense. Once we don't have that expense anymore, then the money through VMI will be used um, for, for our household and work. In addition to that, we are encouraging the leaders of the house churches to start their own collection, essentially. And like Paul said, it's supposed to happen on the first day of the week, which back then was seemingly when they gathered. So that, practically speaking, that means when you guys get together, you should expect that you're just going to have an amount that you'll give to the elders of your house, house churches when you meet, and they'll be in charge of basically building up that collection. And the Bible says it's just supposed to keep being stored up until there's a need. So that's going to be the, one of the responsibilities. And then in terms of the uh, back to the Valley Ministries account, 
that's going to be the way that people will, will support Mayanelli's household and our work. So if you want to be giving to us, you'll give through Valiant Ministries. And if you're going to be giving to this collection, that'll be through uh, your house churches and the elders will organize that. So that's how things are going to be working after we're totally out of this space because we're still paying the rent right now. So we do, that's still an expense. And so giving to Valiant Ministries is how you're helping pay for that expense so that we can keep meeting here while we are. Once we're out of this space, we won't have that expense. But even until then, we still are encouraging you all to give to that collection or the, the collections that are happening uh, for your house churches. And that'll be a way that you can sort of f fulfill that uh, responsibility to, um, to store up, like Paul says to do in 1 Corinthians 16 here. So, all right, so I'll wrap it up. The closing point, which I also started with, I'll just remind you guys of it. Good financial stewardship comes down to two things, giving and providing, or providing and giving is the order in which it was taught. Excel in these two things, that word R is supposed to say and, that was my typo. Excel in these two things and you will be a faithful steward that's obedient to God with finances. Yes. I wanted to encourage people to read 2 Corinthians 9. That's probably one of my favorite passages about giving. Mm -hmm. And it's really focusing on how God gives and how he actually provides the seed to sow. So, and it talks about basically giving as a heart matter. So it's one of my favorite passages.